So um, last week, Nina began a new series called Poverty, Wealth, and God. And I was supposed to continue with that this morning. I'm not going to. <laughs> I really felt led of the Holy Spirit to break in on that with a different message this morning. Sickness is not from God, nor does he use it as a tool to teach us. I'm compelled due to the overwhelming number of individuals who are wrestling with things physically. Uh, of course, this latest incident with Manuel being in the hospital, this is a 40-something who got a brain clot, blood clot, excuse me, and it almost took his life. And so I'm just moved this morning as a pastor to turn to the Word of God and look and see what scriptures tell us about living in divine health. Could we do that? Because I know that the issue of sickness and disease and health, health-related issues, come to every one of our homes, doesn't it? It touches every one of our lives. And uh, in some degree or another, every one of us have wrestled with probably some sort of illness or sickness this year. And so let's look to the Word of God and let's establish what we believe there. All right, and I want to talk to you a little bit about not only what God's Word says about this, but questions regarding the medical profession and um, medicine and just where should our faith be in regards to all of these things, okay? Holy Spirit, this is your service. From the start it has been, and now make my tongue as the pen of the ready writer. Give ears to hear to those who are listening, both in this room and those who will be watching over the internet. Illuminate, Holy Spirit, the word of God for us, especially regarding this delicate and sensitive and yet so necessary area of healing and divine health. And for that, we'll give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 10 and verse 10. Uh, I know that is not on your list. Jeff, that's cool, that's cool. I'm throwing it in here. Uh, do you have the ability to just run it up on the screen real quick? Uh, oh, surprise me. No, it's, it's really good in any version. NIV will be fine since that's where everything's being taken from pretty much this morning. I want you to look at this scripture that's on the uh, screen or that will be coming up here, John 10, 10. Let me know when it's up there, everybody. Is it there? Ready, read. Most translations uh, will say, and have life more abundantly. 
when I am in the middle of sickness, I do not feel like I am operating in abundance. When I'm sick, I do not feel very full of life <laughs> and joy. It robs me of time. It robs me of treasure. It robs me of being effective and efficient with my week. It robs me of personal joy. It robs me of being a blessing to other people. I don't want to be around other people. I don't want other people to see me. <laughs> you know, when I, how about you? There isn't anything about sickness that would tell us that it fits that description of why Jesus came. In fact, he tells us that it's the thief who steals, kills, and destroys, not God. Jeff, if, you, if we could find Isaiah 53 and Matthew chapter 8, both of those, and put up Isaiah 53, and you all are turning, I know. Isaiah chap chapter 53, and let's look at verse 4 and 5. Isaiah 54, verse 4 and verse 5. I'm turning in my Bible right now. Surely he has borne our griefs. The Hebrew translation of that is surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our sorrows. The Hebrew word used there for sorrows is diseases. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. The source of divine healing is the same as the source of forgiveness. The source of God's will for my life regarding health is the same as the source of forgiveness. I'm going to find a number of ways to say this. The reason that I am forgiven by God is the same reason that I am healed by God. I know God forgives me because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. I know that God heals me because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. When Jesus walked the earth physically, he often would make this statement. Listen to me now. 
The kingdom has come among you. The kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of heaven is here. And every time he makes that statement, it is almost always in conjunction with a healing that he had just performed. Often. Almost every time. You see, we talked about this on Easter. I don't know if you remember, but on Easter we talked about the resurrection not being about death, but being about God's purpose for the kingdom of God on earth. Resurrection isn't so much about going to a place in the sky called heaven. Resurrection was about God establishing his will on the earth. Resurrection was not so much about Jesus creating a new religion called Christianity whereby you and I could go off to heaven after life here on earth because we've purchased a life insurance policy. We learned this on Easter. Resurrection was God stating for mankind that what Jesus did when he was here on the earth settled it. It is finished, Jesus said, hanging on the cross. And what was finished? He established his kingdom. Now, to demonstrate that kingdom, he would heal people. He'd cast out demons from people. He'd heal them. He opened blinded eyes. He restored people's legs. He healed paralytics. All sorts of, and manner of disease. Jesus would heal and all manner of demons he would drive out and he would make the statement, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come among you. What are we talking about? God's rule and authority is manifest. I have forgiven, I heal, I restore. You are reconciled back to myself in the person of my son. And to seal the deal, he's going to die, go into the grave, and rise from the dead. Thus my kingdom has come on earth as it is in heaven. Pray the prayer with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in, say it again, on earth as it is in heaven. Say one more time, on earth as it is in heaven. Who taught us to pray that way? Jesus did. Now, how many of you believe that prayer has been answered? Or are we still waiting for it? Now, I understand there are parts of redemption, parts of the eternal plan of God in terms of the end of the ages that are yet to be experienced. I get that. But there was something Jesus was doing during his ministry where he was shouting, I am bringing heaven to earth. I am going to demonstrate what it's like through my life to live in heaven. And I'm going to demonstrate it here on earth. And one of the most wonderful, incredible things he regularly did every day was to heal people of sickness and disease. As it was in heaven, so on earth. Dear ones, there's no sickness in heaven. There's no disease in heaven. 
Nothing's broken. Nothing's missing. The Hebrew word shalom, when you say shalom, when a Jewish person says shalom to somebody, they're saying peace, nothing missing, nothing broken. Isn't that beautiful? That's what heaven is like. Nothing missing, nothing broken. And Jesus demonstrated the kingdom of God and said, it's among you. Let me demonstrate. <laughs> Pow. Somebody without limb. And they'd start walking. Somebody who couldn't see. Their eyes would open. <laughs> Jesus said, that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom. The thief doesn't do that. Do you understand that? The thief doesn't do that. The thief doesn't open eyes. The thief doesn't pull people out of wheelchairs. The, people do, the thief doesn't heal fevers. The, the thief doesn't establish healthy bodies and limbs so that I can praise God and tell others about God's kingdom. The thief wouldn't do that. He comes only for three things. Tell me, help me out. To steal, kill, and destroy. None of those are happening in heaven. You should never pray in a way, never pray in a way that lends itself in your words to death, stealing, or destruction. Destruction, death, or stealing. Okay? Never. We should always release words which are life-giving. Keep that in mind now. All right, now. There are those who would argue that Isaiah chapter 53 was not talking about and did not include physical healing, but was only speaking about spiritual healing. Well, let's look. Let's let the Bible comment on the Bible. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8. Jeff, starting in verse 14. So we're going to read several verses there. And I'm reading, Jeff, from the English Standard if you want to do it in that translation just so it's the same. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 14, and when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. Why? Because sickness cannot remain in the presence of God. Sickness can't dwell. There's no sickness in heaven. Jesus was manifesting heaven on earth. Jesus was manifesting the will of God and the kingdom of God on earth. And he touched Peter's mother-in-law's hand and it, and it says that fever just left her. And she arose, she began to serve. See, that's always, that's the reason God wants us healthy. He wants us to arise, give him praise every day, and be in his loving service in however he wants to use us. Verse 16, that evening, 
they brought to him many, everybody say many, who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and he healed all who were sick. How many? Just some? Just the lighter cases? The fever? Upset stomach? What about blindness? What about cripples? What, What about those with a blood clot in their brain? What about blind? It says, and Jesus healed all who were sick. Now, verse 17, watch. I mean, open your eyes, look at this carefully. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. Isaiah prophesied about a coming kingdom. Jesus demonstrated the kingdom is at hand. And part of the way he demonstrated it was to drive out demons and to heal all who were sick. Wow. Oh my goodness. Jesus. Now, I want to ask you this morning, whose report will you believe? We were in chapter 53 there. Jeff, could you go back there just for a minute? Isaiah 53. Verse one. Who has believed what he has heard from us? I believe it's the King James translation that says, whose report will you believe? Uh I thank God for physicians. I thank God for the advance of modern medicine. How many of you know modern medicine has spared many lives? Brought many people back into a condition of health or good living or at least life where they would have lost it? How many of you know we need to be thankful for physicians? Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, was a physician. God's not against physicians. God's not against medication. It's just that those things are not the final report. Those things as needed and as good as they are are not the last word. Those things can take us as far as we can go, but sometimes even the physicians can't address a need. We have many instances of that in the scripture, one of which the most famous, where a woman who was internally bleeding, she was hemorrhaging, She had been that way for 12 years. And she heard Jesus was coming into her town. And the Bible says in Mark's gospel, I believe it's chapter five, where this little woman 
had spent everything she had. She dipped into her 401k. I mean, she went to her, you know, her parents. She borrowed money from friends. She spent everything she had on physicians, went to her last appointment, left and went home to die, the Bible says. And then she got a report that Jesus was coming into town for a meeting. Here's what she said. If I can but touch the hem, I, I don't need him to lay hands on me. I don't need to spend any time with him. I don't want him to come to the house. I just want to get to where the presence is, and I just want to touch the hem of his garment. I know I will be made well. She said that. I know I will be made well. In the Greek language, it's in the continual ongoing tense. And so some translations will pick that nuance up and it says it this way. And she kept on saying, I know I will be well. I know I, if I can get to Jesus and just touch the him, just come into contact with the presence. I know I will be made well. I know it. <laughs> the doctors have done their best. The physician sent me home. I've spent all my money. But God, could you say it? But God. But God. Well, you know, she did. She got to the meeting. There was a crowd all around Jesus. Throngs of people. She pressed through the crowd. I wonder how big she was. I just imagine her being, you know, a little bit smaller. And she's just making her way through the crowd, pushing people aside. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And people looking at her and snarling and trying to juxtapose for their place. I, I'm here. She just kept, she probably crawled through some people's legs, you know, just between. I'm going to get to Jesus. I wish people would do that with church service on Sunday. That's the pastor in me. You just slip it in, you know. But no, I'm serious. There's something about being gathered together in worship where the presence manifests in a way that I don't always walk in that same immediacy of presence when I'm at home. Now, she touched him. And the scripture says, immediately she was made well. Her hemorrhaging, her hemorrhaging stopped and it dried up immediately. Now, here's what Jesus did. It says, and Jesus, feeling that power went out of him, turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched me? <laughs> His disciples said, is he mad? Does he not see the throng of people all around him? What's he mean? Jesus, are you kidding us? What do you mean who touched you? There's throngs of people touching and reaching and grabbing and pulling at your clothing. He said, no, no, you don't understand. Somebody touched me in faith. 
Now, you remember what she had said after she heard, after she heard, after she heard, after she heard, she said, she said, she said, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. Dear ones, listen to me. We don't say it to make it true. We say it because it is true. And she touched and power went out of his body. I wonder how many of us this morning are touching, are touching. Now we're going to do one better than that before this is all over. We're going to do one better than all of that. But I ask you this morning, whose report will you believe? Are you going to believe the report of the Lord or the report of the doctors? Thank God for our doctors, but they only go so far. So I sat with Stacy and Man, uh, Barb, her mother, Manuel's mother-in-law. I was awoken on Saturday morning. It was 4 a.m. And I laid in bed. And the Holy Spirit said, get up shower, get ready, and go down to the hospital. I want you to give a faith update. I want you to give a faith update to Stacy and Barb. I text Barb. I said, I want to come to the hospital. This is 4.35 o'clock in the morning. Can I come? She said, come. They were asleep. They had been asleep. Stacy was still asleep. When I got there, they were finishing what you girls do. You know. <laughs> Pastor's coming. <laughs> But it, it takes 35, 40 minutes to get there. I knew I was leaving them time. Okay. Yeah. So I walk in. It's 5.30 in the morning. Everything's quiet. Nobody's in the hallways of the hospital. I've got the whole place to myself. The kingdom of God is coming. And I sit down with them. And we begin to talk about some of these things. And I begin to share how, look, I wanted to come before the masks start coming, you know, because there's, oh my goodness, I've never seen such a, all day long, into the evening, there's tons of people, tens and tens of people coming, relatives and friends and ministry associates that Manuel knows. And, I wanted to get there. In fact, I said in my text, I, I need to get in and out. <laughs> you ever felt like that? I just need to get in and out. Okay, you chaplains, you know. I, I need to get in and I need to get out. All right, I sat down and here's the first question I asked him. Listen now, listen, this is so critical, everybody. Look up here. 
I said, there was an instance where there was a little girl sick and she died. In fact, somebody had run to Jesus, one of her family members, and said, Jesus, come quickly. Our little girl is sick. She's dying. Jesus hung out where he was three more days. She died. Lazarus. Lazarus. I'm thinking of Lazarus in that instance. And then there was also the little girl. Both of these happened in a similar way. Jesus got there to the home and there were throngs of people crying and mourning and weeping and oh. Jesus goes into the house. People are mourning and whining and they're all gathered around the little girl who's died and Jesus says, watch, watch, put them all out. He had all the compassion seekers, all the mourners, all those crying and weeping. He said, put them out. Have them leave. Have them leave right now. And I said to Barb and Stacy, I said, why do you think Jesus did that? I'll ask you, why do you think Jesus did that? Jeff, you have it. Mark, chapter six, verse five, would you? Mark chapter six, verse five, got it? It's on the screen. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Next verse was, and he marveled at their unbelief. Jesus, the Son of God, creator of heaven and earth, could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled at their unbelief. Mourning, grieving is not wrong. It's a necessary process in our wholeness and in our healing and coming to terms with what's happened. It's good. God gave you that ability to grieve. It's not bad. But there is a point at which grieving and mourning and compassionate prayers of reaching and pleading with God comes up against the reality of the kingdom. And Jesus knew that and he said, leave the room. Leave, leave the room, all of them, leave the room. <laughs> and he ministered to the little girl and he raised her from the dead. I could just suggest that the more severe the case, the fewer people you want in the room who aren't in faith. I, I'm just saying. 
So, here was my instruction. I think it will serve all of us well. I know you have to process a lot of people. And God wants us to be loving and caring and gentle. And I know that you're going to be hearing many reports from the doctor about Manuel's condition. However, that is not the final word. That is not an expression of the kingdom of God. And so, just be careful what you latch into and believe. Whose report will you believe? Now, I told you there was something better than the woman with the issue of blood touching the hem of his garment. Something better than, you know, uh, even what we read about here. And it's this. What Jesus did, he did for all of us, and he did it 2,000 years ago. After you leave the Gospels and you get into the book of Acts, and then you leave Acts, Acts is just that. It's the Acts of the Apostle or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. So it tells us how then Jesus' disciples demonstrated the kingdom of God. Then, as you leave Acts, from Acts to Revelation is a brand new unfolding of what's called the New Testament, the new revelation of God's will. And it quite simply rests in one principle. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. For me to live is Christ because Christ lives in me. It is not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So the woman who went to where Jesus was to touch if she were alive today, would not need to leave her house. She could touch because she would be living in the Christ. So I told Stacy and Barb, basically what you will get from the physicians and the doctors in their report, and what you will get from the mourners and those who are grieving will be prayers of reaching for God. Prayers of, God, could you please heal Manuel like it's still out there, still yet to be done, still, oh God, we hope you will. But the revelation of Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament, is that we're not begging God to come anymore. We're not reaching out to God to forgive us. He's already done it. We're forgiven. Now, we started with this idea. The same source of your forgiveness is the source of your healing. Let me ask you something, just for a sake of analogy. When you are needing forgiveness, 
is that when you walk forward and shake the preacher's hand and pray the prayer that God forgives you? Or was it done when Jesus hung on the cross, went into the ground, and was raised from the dead? Is the prayer for forgiveness a prayer that's getting God to forgive you? Or is it an acknowledgement of that he has already forgiven you and I receive that as mine? <sighs> Help me with the passage. You know it. Paul, Paul wrote it. Uh, perhaps the most famous verse in all of Romans, his great treatise on the new covenant that if thou shalt believe in your heart God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord you shall be saved let me ask you something is that when God saves you or is that when you receive it when you believe and you confess, is that when God's forgiveness is, happens? Or is that when you make yourself available and you receive it as yours? Are you tracking with me, everyone? All right, let me ask you another question then. When you ask God to heal you, are you praying a prayer of faith or are you praying a prayer of con compassion, mercy? God, have mercy on me. They'd say that in the New Covenant as, or in the Gospels as Jesus was walking the earth. God, have mercy on me. And Jesus would heal. <laughs> are you all tracking with me? Do you need to ask God to heal you? Do you need to ask God to save you? That if thou shalt believe in your heart, God raised Jesus from the dead, and say with your mouth, Jesus, you are my Lord. Man, I just give this thing to you. Thou shalt be saved. Thou shalt come into the realization. Thou shalt begin to receive all the power of what that means. You'll, you'll begin to personally be able to plug into all that he did 2,000 years ago if you believe it and you say it. I'm summarizing. I'm breaking it. If you believe it in your heart and you say it with your mouth, it unlocks. Nina shared the principle with you. Unlocking the blessings. Unlocking the blessings. Remember that picture she showed us last week of a vault, a bank vault? Everything God has for you is already in the vault. Say it after me. Everything God has for me is already in the vault. The key, the keys, the code is believing in my heart and saying with my mouth. Yeah. 
That's the modern version. When Nana showed you the vault and told you that to release the blessings, you don't beg God, you don't cry after God, you don't need to plead with God to help you financially, it's already in the vault. You go to the vault by your actions and your words and you unlock, you open the door. It's the same with healing. So I told Barbara and Stacy, Manuel's wife, I said, look, you're going to spend the next 18 hours thronged with cries of compassion and reaching and grieving and so forth, as if God is still waiting to heal Manuel. That is not true. Manuel is healed. Manuel is whole. What Jesus did for Manuel, he did 2,000 years ago, just like forgiveness is 2,000 years old. Now, let's surround Manuel with faith so we can help his body respond and take out of the vault what belongs to him already. So I said, here's a little book, and you, you might want to take this title down, Words That Heal. I brought it. I was going to show you a copy. It's in my office. Words That Heal. It's about this tall and this wide. Little purple, beautiful purple and gold book by Gloria Copeland. Filled with nothing but scripture after scripture after scripture of healing. And then positive words to speak. I, I gave it to him and I said, here's what I said. Now, when people go into that room, why did Jesus ask people to leave the room? I said, when people go into Manuel's room, you know as well as I do, they're going to be at all different stages of pleading and crying and, oh God, please heal Manuel. God, please, if it's your will. Oh my goodness. There, there couldn't be a more faith-destroying prayer than that one. That prayer was prayed once by Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as a prayer of dedication while going to the cross. It was never a template. Never. So these people are going to be entering Manuel's presence where Manuel's spirit is alive to God. Manuel's spirit is still in beautiful connection with the Holy Spirit. Now we have a body problem. Manuel's not dead. Manuel hasn't been separated from God by the hospital or by being sick. He's in beautiful union with the Father. The Father's loving him, caring for him. He's got his arms around him. Now, we need to do what's necessary in faith and anointing and presence of God to get his body to respond to that healing. So, here's what you do. Take this book, and when you know somebody's going to go in there and just sort of pour out a bunch of stuff and not know how to pray, I said, give them this book. Give them a page assignment and tell them, when you go in there, pray this prayer over Manuel. It's all written out for you. People like to recite prayers. My wife grew up Catholic, 12 years of parochial school. She knows Catholicism, all right? 
They loved to recite prayers. Most of the people going into Manuel's room were probably from a liturgical background where they recite prayer. I said, Barb, Stacy, take this book. Give them a page assignment. Let them be declaring something out their mouth that's going to fill the room with faith so that Manuel's body can respond in faith to the will of God, the kingdom of heaven, the power of Jesus. I've been receiving texts since Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever it happened, of last week. On Wednesday night, he went into the hospital. He called his daughter on Wednesday afternoon and said, come get me, I can't move. Come get me, I can't move. Can you imagine that? 16-year-old daughter? No, I'm sorry, 21, 21, 22, 25. He, he has a daughter that young, but not this daughter. Come get me, uh, I can't move. That's what started it. Every since, I've been getting all kinds of reports, text reports, doctor says this, doctor says that, this is what's gonna happen. Here's what's gonna happen now. Here's what the next two weeks look like. Here's, if this doesn't happen, oh, you know, this is, this is dire. Oh, this is better. This is. And I take that and I say, God, thank you for our doctors. Bless their hands, guide them. Let them give the right doses. Let them speak words of life when they come into the room. Lord, don't let them be overly negative. Lord, help our physicians. You've blessed us with good medical care. If Manuel hadn't gotten to the hospital, when he did, by his daughter coming immediately to take him, he would have died that day. They think he had the stroke the day before. Thank God for medicine. Thank God for the hospital. Thank God for doctors. It's just not the last word. So all these reports I keep getting, you know what I do? I read them and then I set my phone down and I go to the Father and I say, Father, your kingdom be manifest in that, in that hospital room. Lord, your kingdom, fill that room with your presence. Manual, and I'm really thinking about his body right now. Manual, in the name of Jesus, rise. Manual, your flesh, your bone, your sinews, your cells, your blood, every part of you, life, be healed. You say, well, that doesn't sound very much like a prayer. No, it really sounds a lot like what Jesus would do. <laughs> when, when, when Jesus went to his mother-in-law and he just touched her. He just touched her hand and the fever left. Why? Because he knew who he was. He knew he was carrying heaven. You do too. He lives in you. There's no difference between you and Jesus in this earth. You're a son of God. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You are now his temple. That's why we've stopped begging, crying, praying prayers to get God to come. He lives in us. Jesus, we're, he, Paul said, Jesus is my elder brother. I have, the, I have God's DNA. I have the same DNA Jesus has. 
When Lazarus was dead, in the tomb, had been there for three days, Jesus walks up to the tomb and says, Oh, God, I'm just praying, Lord, if it would be your will, God, if you could see some way to bring my friend Lazarus back to the dead. I know it's really not going to happen. You don't do that kind of thing. But, Lord, God, if you could heal it, right? No. Uh, right? Lord, if it be your will, God, could you please... And, and, and people around were saying, here's what the Bible says. Jesus, are you crazy? By now he stinks. <laughs> By now he stinks. That's what the Bible says. He, like that would prevent God from resurrecting him from the dead. I mean, you know. Here's what Jesus did. Lazarus, come forth. <laughs> and he walks out of the tomb. <laughs> He's... The Bible says he's all wrapped in. Somebody cut that off of him. And they're all praising God and rejoicing. And he's alive. He's alive. And all Jesus did was release the kingdom of God with his words. He already believed perfectly. Yeah. Wow, let's stand. 